Welcome to the Property Management Mastermind Show with your host, Brad Larson. Brad owns one of the fastest growing property management companies in San Antonio, Texas. This podcast is for property managers by property managers. You'll hear from industry leading professionals on best practices, new ideas, success stories, and lessons learned. This is your opportunity to learn about the latest industry buzz surrounding property management, as well as tips and strategies to improve your business. With Brent Bridges' property management, marketing, and workflow automation tools, take your business to the next step. Reduce overhead costs by up to 60%. Eliminate human error through automation. Make all your processes consistent and predictable. Have transparency and control through detailed and sophisticated reporting. For property managers that want to work smarter, not harder, RentBridge. Call us, 972-805-8535, or visit rentbridgegroup.com. Are you tired of chasing tenants to comply with having renter's insurance? Insurance Management Group can solve this problem with a master tenant's insurance policy. Keep tenants in compliance with your lease agreement and help protect all parties involved. A master tenant's insurance policy can also add an additional revenue stream to your business. Contact Derek Scott at 918-728-8992 or visit imgadvisors.com. To learn more, listen to the Property Management Mastermind Show podcast, episode number 36. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Property Management Mastermind Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Larson. And today's guest, we have the marquee speaker coming at us from the Property Management Mastermind Conference happening in May 2021 in Dallas, Texas. Go to pmmcon.com to learn more about that and sign up. But Rob Hahn, or Robert Hahn, is going to be joining us here for a session and a podcast talking about what his presentation is going to be like the real estate market in general, what his research is, is leading to. It's going to be a very conversational discussion we're going to have talking about real estate and how it relates to property management. So it's going to be a fun episode. So yeah. Rob, I'm going to let you introduce yourself here. So if you could give us a few minutes of time and go talk us through who you are. Sure. Hi, Brad. And thanks for having me on. A real pleasure. Really looking forward to seeing you in Dallas. Uh, you know, having a I mean, I consider myself a Texan anyway, because even though I am a refugee from New Jersey, uh, I fled to Texas in 2011, but I'm not there now. I'm in Vegas, but you know, I feel like I should have like the Gonzalez flag back there. And, you know, I feel like person, like you know, one of these weird things where you culturally feel like you fit. So, really looking forward to it. Uh, there's, let's always, see. there's always a saying about that. You know, I, I wasn't born in Texas, but I exactly. got here as fast as I could. You know, exactly. there's always a saying about that, right? Exactly. And uh, you know, I'm I'm here, but I still think about it. So, you know, can't wait to get back. Uh, let's see. What can I what can I tell you about my? I have a very bizarre path to kind of where I am now. I'll try to give you the, sort of the real short readers digest version. Um, I went to college, graduated, worked on Wall Street. While I was working on Wall Street, I decided I didn't like uh, looking at spreadsheets. I wanted to do like real le- like learn real business. So I quit a hedge fund on Wall Street and I went to sell men's clothing at at uh, of Goodman. Uh, then went to law school, uh, decided that studying law was uh, interesting. I enjoy studying law, but I spent a lot of time doing uh, gaming. <laughs> playing well, not just, game not, just, not just any law school, though. I don't want you to short, short change yourself. <laughs> Tell us where you went. I, I went to NYU Law School and uh, did, you know, like I really enjoyed it. But like I said, I decided I don't like money somehow. So 
instead of becoming a lawyer in New York, you know, making, I can't remember, like enormous sums of money, I decided to be a magazine editor because I was a pro gamer at the time in this card game called Magic the Gathering. Um, long story short, from there, I went and started a, uh, a dot-com back in 1999-2000 type timeframe, built that out, sold it to USA Networks, uh, went and managed sci-fi.com for a while, left that, went to a startup. Uh, 9-11 happened. And I was in World Trade Seven, so that company, you know, went under, um, and basically ended up in real estate. Um, just for initially doing consulting on the commercial side, uh, trying to buy and sell airplane hangers, <laughs> which is a whole story. Um, and then through one of my clients being Realogy, I went ended up going there on the commercial side, <clears throat> uh, you know, doing interactive marketing and technology. And then went out on my own and have been out on my own since 2009. So managed to survive as a consultant uh, doing strategy work, you know, in real estate. That's so the that's fascinating part. the briefest description I could give you. <laughs> yeah. And so to give the audience a brief history as well. So you were introduced to me by Scott Brady. That's and right. he was uh, enamored by your presentation that you put on for the California Association of Realtors, uh, where you were able to throw some information at them that just kind of like, you know, put everybody yeah. on their ear, everybody in their discussion points of like, what yeah. is going on? You know, we are in fear of our whole industry. So yeah. that, that was really fascinating. I'm like, I want to see what kind of research and stuff he can come up with for yeah. our industry, property management, which is yeah. a subset of the real estate industry in a whole. That's right. So yeah, that's what we want to talk to you about. And I'm kind of looking forward to it because, you know, I, I do feel like I know, you know, more than most, you know, about the overall residential real estate industry. Property management, obviously, is a very important subset of it. It's one that I feel like doesn't get a lot of attention. And quite frankly, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to learning from you and some of the other attendees who are much more expert in specifically in property management. But you know, obviously, there's huge amounts of overlap, right? Because you know, if you think about it, it's a continuation of the housing market in general. You know? So on the residential real estate side, we're only looking at you know, home sales, home sales. Like, yeah, except that investment's a big part of it. And you know, obviously rentals and, uh, you know, the, the other alternative sorts of things happen before and after, right? So it's, it's, to me, it's a continuous blend. There's likely going to be a lot of things that we're all going to want to talk about and think about in common. So yeah, no, I, I always say it's the epicenter of real estate. I mm -hmm. mean, property management to me, everything happens right in the middle. You have buyers on the left, sellers on the right, you have management, you have maintenance, you have revenue, you have a business. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one of those situations to where if you're in the management realm, you have opportunities abound. I yeah. mean, much more so yeah. than just generic real estate, commercial and or residential. Yeah. yeah. And so, for example, I was talking to the team yesterday. One of the things I absolutely hate, one of the metrics I hate is people try to use this annual lifetime contract value number mm -hmm. for property managers. Well, my argument is there is no such a thing because one, we're not typically old enough to get that data in an accurate format. And two, if you're running a business correctly, that home would potentially never leave your inventory. Mm -hmm. So you would, someone would, you would help somebody buy a home. You would manage mm -hmm. that home. And then that buyer owner, so, excuse me, that buyer owner now wants to be seller, wants to sell that property. Mm -hmm. You as the management company should be able to sell it under your sales division. Absolutely. And you sell it to another investor. Absolutely. Which never leaves your, never leaves your inventory. Absolutely. Right? So it's just kind of like that whole thing that... Um, I hear that number. I'm like, wait, there's no real such thing as an annual lifetime contract stuff. Now I'm just getting off on a tangent, but you, you know, and a real estate guy and you understand these metrics, you get it because a lot of yeah. people will talk about, you know, 
then you're talking about company value. Then you're talking about you know what you want to use to create leads and mm -hmm, your mm -hmm. your uh, your your client acquisition cost. You know, it's mm -hmm, all a part mm -hmm. of that, right? So anyway, yeah. I'm I digressing, but I want to. No, it's not a digression. And frankly, I think that's one of the things I'm most excited about exploring. You know, during the presentations, I don't want to give away too much of it, but let let, let me let me see if I could do it like this. Again, I came out of commercial real estate. Right, into residential. So I remember coming in like, wow, you know, it's totally different, but it's not really different, but it's totally different. Right. But the one thing I remember from the commercial side was, uh, and, you know, my mentor, like that kind of got me into real estate, was a big time commercial broker in New York City. And basically, we would talk about how property management in a commercial is not a moneymaker. Right. And that's what he would tell me all the time. So why do you do it? Why does CBRE, why does JLL, why do these guys have huge, enormous uh, property management divisions? And his take was, you do property management to control the property. So it doesn't make sense, <clears throat> at least in the commercial world, in his view, to do property management in and of itself. It has to be part of this whole matrix. And I've always thought, why doesn't that happen more in residential real estate, right? So we know Scott Brady, speaking of Scott, you know, he's one that's kind of really trying to figure that out and trying to figure it out more. And I think that's going to be one of the things that hopefully there'll be some discussion around. Um, and I could see how that works. So yeah, I, and on the other side, the real estate side of things, I, this is something I talk to the brokers and franchise on this side, like, well, are, are you guys looking at property management? If not, why not? You know, it's one of these things. So I think it's natural overlap, right? I love that comment because we encourage people all the time to make sure they're doing sales, right? You mm -hmm. hear, Sometimes they're standalone property management companies and they're only doing property management. They, they refer mm -hmm. all the sales. They don't do sales. They, they use as their mantra. They put it on their banners. Right. They put it on their business cards. We don't do sales. And I think right. they are missing the boat because your analogy, your metaphor from the commercial side is the only reason they do it is to control the property That's right. for the sales side, the buyer, the That's seller right. sales side. That's right. And that makes total sense. I love it. That's right. And then, you know, it's, so to take it to the next level, it's like one of the interesting things is how there's this wealth of data and it's just not being collected, right? So <laughs> that's a whole other thing. And I know the property management tech platforms are probably collecting some of that data, but, you know, and, and I don't, you know, this is something that I'm kind of curious about as well. It's like, we're starting to see concentration of, uh, of power, if you will, consolidation more and more on the brokerage side. I imagine the same thing is happening on the property management side, but even so, it does still feel to me like property management is really fragmented, you know, because it's a very local business, right? Like I'm not going to have a property manager. So for example, like I'm, I'm in a position where I probably need to find one soon because we just, my wife and I just bought a cabin up in Utah, right? So at least short term, because we're going to want to use it, but who knows, we might just make it a long-term rental, right? We'll probably want to find a property manager. We're not hiring a property manager out of Vegas to manage something in Utah, right? We're going to hire start someone locally. So it's probably going to end up being a fairly small company that does it. However, I think in urban areas, you know, sort of suburban, like larger markets, I, you know, I imagine consolidation is happening. We're going to see larger and larger institutions, companies come into play. How does that change things? Especially when landlords themselves are becoming more and more institutional, right? So I think we're going to go through some real shifts in the next few years, uh, you know, I yeah. would say. There's a lot of fun stuff to talk about with that. Yeah. So I have a kind of a quirky saying, I don't want to say it's mine, but and, and I consider our industry to have insulation by fragmentation mm -hmm. because we are so fragmented, like you said, because there's little small mom and pop owned businesses yep. and these little small distinct area markets. 
And a lot of consumers want that. Yep. So on the parallel of that, the other side is we do see the roll-ups and a lot of times they're really good players. Now you have the faction of the roll-ups, you have you know, the, the VC money, the venture mm -hmm. capital money, then you have the privately held roll-ups and there's some differences there. Sure. But you're also seeing uh, a lot of these folks are dumping a ton of money into the advertising, a lot of venture mm -hmm. capital type money. Yep. And the advertising really leads to nowhere. You know, for yeah. example, there's I've seen a local player in our market. Uh, they're doing radio advertisements, and you go to their website, and it's it's like, why would anybody ever hire them off of their mm -hmm. website? It's an absolute joke. But then you they're doing radio advertising and spending a absolute ton of money mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. And so it just it doesn't make any sense to me how they do some of this because they're not really generating enough revenue to justify what they're putting out. Mm -hmm. So that's a fun conversation in itself. That is the roll-ups roll are happening. And I do believe there's some really good players in the market, as mentioned, yep. a lot of it's private money. But at the same time, they're not going to make a huge dent in the overall status of the industry. They're going right. to get up a little bit of percentage, you know, way south of, of double-digit percentages. We're talking maybe 5% mm -hmm. at best. But mm -hmm. in the major markets, as you mentioned, it's really interesting to see if they can roll up and do a any sort of a uh, mass offering, mass uh, uh, business type of a model in a certain market, because that's mm -hmm. where it really creates the economies of scale that everybody wants. And I think that's part of it. The other part that I would want to really, really think about is is data, right? So, in the you know, obviously on the brokerage side, at least for the last few years, there have been a number of people like Gary Keller, you know, would say things like data is the new new oil, right? This is the commodity that's going to power everything. That's not false. It's true. But most of the brokerages in our space, because they tend to be smaller, because they're not in they're not tech people, they're not tech companies, it's almost like they don't really think real hard about the importance of collecting, managing, storing, <laughs> and leveraging data, right? They don't have data scientists. But then you have companies like Open Door and Zillow and Redfin, these companies that arise, people on tech-enabled brokers. I'm like, yeah, but really, what's the tech? Right? What's the tech? The real tech is data. Real tech is data aggregation, data collection, and data analysis, data management. And I'm sure, I'm almost positive that we're starting to see stuff like that happen on the property management side because there's so much data. I don't think it's yet been figured out how to leverage that. But from a 30,000 feet up, it's very easy to see how you might leverage something like that, right? Um, and I think the weakness, if you will, of the smaller sort of fragmented model is you have data for your own operation, but what about everyone else? Because data is not that useful in small quantities. You need large amounts. And, you know, for example, the MLS doesn't really do that, right? Because we know the multiple listing service is not that involved in property management, rentals. It's just an area that everyone's ignored because real estate agents don't want to bother with it. And I'm like, it's a mistake, right? But one of the things that I think it results in is lack of, lack of really good, you know, collected aggregated data. So that would be, you know, and I'm imagining there's tech companies out there that are folk that are thinking about this, that are focusing on this, right? So you know, right. they've got the tools, and so, so I think that's going to be one of the big revolutions that happen over the next few years. Now you mentioned the dirty word, right? You mentioned the Z word, and so my my <laughs> listeners, you know, the other property managers, we're not super happy with Zillow right now. I mean, mm -hmm. earlier in the year they basically cut off the feed, and so if you're going to advertise on Zillow, you got to pay an extortion fee. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so they're not the, the the some of the players aren't real happy with Zillow. Now, I think it could be a point of difference. So any manager that says, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and suck it up and pay for that advertisement, 
Uh, it's not the end of the world, but it is a really good point of difference you can use in your marketing. Mm -hmm. But when you go through that, let's talk. I, I just mentioned that because you mentioned the the, the Zillow word. Sure. And, and so in our industry, and in distinctly among property managers, we're not super in love with them. Now, the iBuyers are another whole co topic of conversation mm -hmm. because it also goes straight into the tangent or topic of real estate in general, real estate agents buying right. and selling and the commissions right. and all of that stuff. Right. I mean, that's why you presented, I believe, to the CAR, yeah. uh, California Association of Realtors, to talk about potentially the future yeah. of what's going on in real estate and real estate sales. So maybe yeah. give us a few minutes there. Sure. And I, I don't think we're going to cover this on the, um, on the uh, presentation itself, because I don't know how directly relevant it is. Although I do understand there's a huge amount of overlap between real estate brokers and property manager. Like there's a lot of folks who do both. Um, one of the, like, there's a few major trends that are happening, right? Uh, one of them that's happening is disbrokeration. That one I will talk about. So I'll just kind of mention that. And the only thing I'll say about that is, you know, in the real estate side of things, we've been worried forever about disintermediation, right? By guys like Zillow and real, Realtor and, you know, all these guys. And I think it's a, it's a mistake. There's no disintermediation happening, right? The real estate agent's not going anywhere. What's happening instead is what I like to call disbrokeration because the broker is disappearing, right? So that's, Again, we'll we'll explore that um, you know uh, in person in in May, but the other thing that I don't I'm probably not going to address the other major thing is is there's a series of commission lawsuits that are happening, right? So uh, Merle versus uh, NAR, Sitzer, Leader, uh, what's the latest one? Conti versus SFAR. So there's these major big lawsuits that are happening that are attacking cooperation and compensation on the real estate sales side. And what it does is it really destroys uh, the viability of the MLS. And the entire residential sales business is built on top of that whole structure. So if that gets threatened, if that goes away, what happens to it? So that's one of the things I pointed out, right? Now, what's, what's driving all of this, right? What's driving all of it is policymakers and politicians <laughs> essentially saying, We're, this is too expensive. Why are we paying 6% when you know, UK, Australia, it's like 1.5%, 2%. And it's this whole debate and sort of political mess. And I'm kind of like, from an industry standpoint, too many of us want to just argue, make arguments like we're in court. I'm like, we're not in court, right? That's not the point here. The point is to understand what's happening and then figure out what does that mean for us? So one of the impacts I think of that is going to be, from a broker standpoint, you have to think about how do, I, how do we stay in business? How do we make money if, say, buy-side commission just goes away? What does that look like? Um, so some of the things I would present at normal, you know, other events, essentially, that's not specific around property management, might be things like that. A lot of my clients are, frankly, MLSs and associations. So it becomes a whole conversation around, okay, if cooperation compensation goes away, what's your value? How do you still stick around? How do you stay in business? How do you stay relevant? If you're a broker or a franchise, if cooperation compensation goes away, and a big chunk of your agent population is making money on buy side commissions, and that's going to disappear. What what do we do, right? Um, so I'll be on one thing. The other thing that I think is really worth discussing, um, and this I think I, we're going to discuss uh, in person as well, is we're in a totally new type of housing market, right? We're in a totally new type of environment, <clears throat> and I'm not an economist. I want to put that out there. I'm not an economist. I just look like one, as I like to say. But, you know, we're in sort of unprecedented territory with what's happening with housing prices and, you know, real estate agents going absolutely insane. Investor interest is the highest it's ever been. 
Um, and I think it's a function of sort of what's happened post COVID and all of the money printing we've done, right? What does that mean? How does that affect things, right? And then the other uh, topic that I like to talk about at a high level to everybody <laughs> that will even want to sit through it is, is the next generation consumers. I, I don't know how else to put it, right? So I wrote a long uh, uh, white paper two years ago talking about millennials because my feeling at the time was we in the real estate industry have a fundamental misunderstanding of millennials and of Gen Z, right? Because it's all positive. Like when we look at sort of industry um, coverage around it, it's like millennials got to save housing. They're the biggest generation ever. And they're really well-educated and they're smart with their money and all these things. They're super tech savvy and they love cities and they love walkable. And, you know, they, this is sort of the procession of millennials. And like if you dig beneath the surface a little bit, the picture is completely different. Right? It's completely different. They're the most divided generation we've ever had. And, and it's going to have a real impact is how I look at it. And so I've been sounding that alarm. And now with Gen Z coming into their own, you know, the oldest Gen Z are like 24. So now we have to start thinking of them. Uh, what's interesting about that from my standpoint, speaking to you guys is you're going to see these people first, right? because when you're 21, 22, you're typically not going out and buying a home. You're going to be renting. So, you know, their entry into the housing market is going to be around property management first, and then they'll transition into the sales part. So by the time they get to be about 30 is when the real estate agents are going to start dealing with them, right? And it's going to be really interesting to see how that generation affects things. So and we'll talk about that, you know, in May as well. But those are some of the major topics that I uh, focus on and that I pay attention to. And I like to look at sort of technological developments that are really disruptive. And iBuyer is absolutely one of them. Enterprise Bank & Trust, the bank you all formerly knew as Seacoast Commerce Bank. With the same team, the same benefits, and an expanded and improved product suite. Enterprise Bank & Trust specializes in trust accounts and business banking for property managers. One of their best features is a cash analysis program where they can assist in paying your property management related invoices. Contact Allison at 619-988-6708 to learn more. So a couple of good, good talking points there. So yeah. if the buyer's agency commission goes away, I hope yeah. under, people understand this, yeah. that essentially the industry of being a real estate agent is going to have to redefine itself completely, Correct. if not totally collapse. Correct. And so they're going to have to just go back to the drawing board to figure out where the money is going to flow. And, and Correct. Because it is a service. It's a service-based industry. Uh, you're making a commission of X because you show 100 homes and you write 100 offers. And it really is a, a you know, it's something that if it goes away, it's going to cause a lot of problems because then we're going to yep. see a bunch of, you know, people get into the property management industry and try to take over property management. Sure. And, and that could be, you know, problematic for our industry because, you know, that's just more competition for us. Now, let's talk through some of that later on. But yeah. as far as the real estate market, I've got a couple, you know, fun stuff to throw at you just because you probably like to hear this stuff. Yes. So locally, San Antonio, Austin, you know, Metro, Texas. Yep. This is, this is I, I pay attention to a lot of different places. And the builders, for example, I'm going to take the builders specifically, a couple interesting stories. The builders have essentially stopped paying the X normal, common and customary percentage yep. on the buyer's agency. They've stopped yep. that. A lot of them yep. have cut it in half. And I'm not mentioning numbers intentionally. Okay. 
Um, they've cut the normal customary commission in a half, if not to a third of what they used to do. And, and I sold mm -hmm. homes locally for 10 years. And so I've seen some buyer's agent commissions that are, make you sick. Now, mm -hmm. <clears throat> they're doing this because the sellers, I'm, I'm sorry, correction, they're doing it because the individual buyers are coming to them directly and they don't need the buyer's agents. Or they're pulling some slicky boy stuff and saying, you know what, if you get rid of your buyer's agent, we reduce the price of the home. And so mm -hmm. they're burning all their realtor bridges right now, which yep. you know, it, it could be good or bad for them. You know, some of these builders have been around for a long time. And San Antonio yep. is a place that they're still building because there's just a lot of landmass that goes out and out and out. You know, the big names, you've heard of them yeah. all. Yeah. Now, the other interesting part is they're jacking prices weekly, weekly, right? They're jacking up the prices every week on these homes to, mm -hmm. the, point, to the point where they would not appraise. There's no way they would appraise on a regular mm -hmm. FHA, VA appraisal, but they don't right. care because they're selling right. these homes cash. They're selling right. these homes with, with maybe conventional financing, which by the way, mm -hmm. they're forcing people, buyers, to use their lender of course, with these giant incentives. I mean, of yeah, you can, you can use Johnny lender outside of my organization as a builder, but then you're going to pay an extra 10 or 15 or 20 grand to do yep. that. And buyers yep. would be like, well, that's a no brainer. Of course, I'm going to yeah. use your lender. Yep. So they're controlling all of that. Quick little final story on that is, you know, I pay attention to a couple Facebook groups and uh, there's, a, there's a regular priced home locally in the San Antonio market in a nice neighborhood listed at 400 something. Uh, you know, not not you know Hollywood mm -hmm. level, but not a starter home, mid grade, and the bid that lost was sixty grand over cash, mm -hmm. no inspections, no title policy, mm -hmm. no warranty, no mm -hmm. anything, just like right. no title policy, none of that. Yeah, as yeah. is closing yeah. in ten days, cash, yeah. and they yeah. lost. That yeah. was a losing offer, and so I'd hate to see the winning offer, right? I only say that because it's just a quick little story to, to try to illustrate how freaking hot the market is here. Yeah. And it's probably that way in a lot of areas. So what are, what's kind of your, yeah. your comments on some of those things? So I think and this is something that people are starting to really talk about, right? But it's starting to get lost. And I think, uh, what's his name? Uh, Meet Kevin on YouTube does a pretty good job of this. Um, uh, uh, Stefan... Stephen Graham, I think is his name, or Graham Stephan, you know, does also, because these are both like millennial money guys, but they're heavily invested in real estate and talk about real estate as an investment. So they've been starting to talk about this a little bit. I think fundamentally what we have going on is uh, devaluation of the dollar. Like, I don't really think that real estate prices are up. I think it's that the dollar is devalued. We just haven't seen inflation hit yet, right? Because the way we measure CPI. Um, there are a lot of really smart people out there. Right? So some of my work and my consulting side, I work with like Wall Street hedge funds. They're really, really smart. I mean, they understand money in a way that like you and I just like, we just, we just don't understand money the way these guys do. And what they're looking at is, okay, um, cash is good. Bonds are like, why would you hold bonds? It's ridiculous. Um, you know, there's some suspicion that bonds could have negative yield. I mean, there's some really, like really weird things happening because we've we've you know stimulus spending because of some of the stuff we've done as uh, the federal government's done so these guys are looking at their millions and if in some cases billions of dollars going where do we put this money real estate is literally the best asset category to have that money if you're thinking about an inflation hedge if you're thinking of you know sort of ongoing um, you know cash return cash and cash return 
there's so many reasons. So yeah, it's something that I think we not we don't track very much, and I would love to know if you have a way of tracking that data. My suspicion is a lot of those winning bids are probably not individuals; they're not families. That's my suspicion. You know what I mean? My suspicion is those might be institutions, right? Whether they're buying it under the institution name or they're you know filtering it through a, a some sort of a purchase. That's sort of my gut feeling on this because yeah, if you have if you have eight billion under management, where are you going to put it? Right. Where are you going to put it? Because you have to do what's right for your investor, you know, the pension funds and so on. Real estate's going to be that way. And we're simply not building enough. And we're not, you know, like all of the things we've talked about. At least in San Antonio, you guys are still building. <laughs> That's how I look at it. A lot of the country, there's not even that going on. Right. And then we could get into the building supplies and price of lumber and, and all of that as well. And, so I think that's what's happening. I, I really genuinely worry that average American family will not be able to buy a home, you know, like ever. Like I genuinely about that, um, which means that we're going to see some backlash coming from that as well, and it gets all complicated. And quite frankly, property management management is going to be caught right in the middle. Like you want to talk about epicenter? I think you guys might be the epicenter of that because if I'm 25, I'm thinking I want to buy a home. It's like, well, that's impossible. Like, there's no conceivable way that I'll ever buy a home. Well, then the next thing is I'll kind of be renting. Well, then what's my experience with that, right? What's my experience as a renter? That's going to dictate a lot of what happens, I think, in the next four years, four to six years. And so one of the things we'll talk about during the, uh, during the conference is politics, unfortunately, because really the biggest risk to real estate, the biggest risk to housing, the biggest risk to property management... The biggest all of this is politics, and there's just no two ways about it. It's not, not technology. It's not Zillow. It's not open. The biggest risk is politics. So we'll talk about that, right? And that goes hand in hand with the whole like future consumer. You know, what's their experience? What are they like? They're also the future voter. You know, so we'll go into a lot of those types of things. That's my take on it. Yeah. That's going to be fascinating to hear because I think a lot of fi- a lot of folks uh, want to ignore that. They they want to blame mm-hmm. the big easy target, which is Zillow. They want to blame the Correct. outbuyer. And Correct. I think you're spot on. And I, I'm very anxious to hear what you have to say at the conference as far as yeah. you know, kind of where this is leading and what kind of policymakers we need, we need to potentially look at putting into office and what kind of policies mm-hmm. are coming down the, the pipe that, you know, there's lots of secret stuff going on. A lot of these executive yeah. orders, a lot of these these czars yeah. out there that are doing all these weird yeah. things, and it doesn't you don't you don't hear from the news, but then no. you go someplace later on to buy, sell, or settle and pay your taxes, and that's where the things smack you in the face. You're like, whoa, mm-hmm. you know this this I didn't know about this. When did this happen? Yeah. Oh, it just changed yeah. two years ago under X administration. Yeah. Insert yeah. here. So yeah. it's it's a scary time for sure, and I I'm it, it really forward is. to hear what you have. And here's, here's the biggest thing, right? Um, so Lee Brown wrote a post on this uh, on my blog, Notorious Rob, right? Talking about YPN needing to step up. So, because I talked to the realtor world, right? I mean, for most of my days. Lee Brown, who's a uh, prominent realtor, she's also a commentator. She does a series of like YouTube, uh, Facebook videos and such. And she was really smart. And she did something where she was really defending the landlord right? because most landlords are not. BlackRock. Most landlords are not angels. Most landlords are, you know, you and me. Like most landlords are families, you know, they're individuals. They're trying to, they have an investment property, one, maybe two. Do you know what I mean? Like, and they're just trying to do the right thing. 
So she made a, a really great defense of the landlord. Now, here's the thing. I look at that and I go, yeah, but politically speaking, right, I can't think of a, a class or a group of people that would be hard to end politically the landlord. Do you know what I mean? Like, since the beginning of time. Like, I don't know how, how that's going to But here's the thing. To me, most renters, most people do not ever have an experience with the landlord. What they have an experience with is the property manager who represents the landlord, right? So there's, there's an element of this that's going to be super interesting to see what happens. Because I've, I've been following some of the Facebook groups on property management as well, like including yours. And it does sound like there's a significant amount of internal discussion happening around professionalism of the property manager, right? Because the bad ones give everybody a real bad name and, you know, the tenants are just going to have this terrible experience with one bad property manager or one bad landlord, and they'll just kind of paint everybody else with the same broad brush. So there's likely going to have to be some thinking around that. Because like I said, the biggest risk we all face is not Zillow, it's not iBuyers, it's the government. Quite yeah, and that's, it's that's a couple of things on that in our industry yeah. is we have industry organizations that mm -hmm. could or should be tied into larger organizations. Now there's some political back happenings there with that yep, organization yep. going into the National Association of Realtors and or any one of those big other factions because they have a political influence. And mm -hmm. you know that that's something that is very scary and we need to get into that more. The other side is is if a the 25-year-old can't buy a home, it's impossible, impossible, impossible. Yep. Guess what? They're voters. And so when you have politicians exactly. out there they're, exactly. What they're doing is they're uh, demonizing the landlord as a politician. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're getting those millennials to vote them into office. And then they never leave because we don't have term limits and all this other stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. a really bad cycle. And so I can see this could be, I hope everybody starts to understand that some of the stuff you're going to talk about is going to tie this all together at the conference and people can yeah. understand at yeah. a higher level why elections matter to us. Yeah. 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 But, you know, the one, one of the challenges with kind of what I look at things at a high level is like, what is the actionable? Like, okay, that's happening. What do we do about it at our level? Right. And I'm, my, my hope is I'll have some thoughts around that. But and I think, you know, the mastermind, I go with the fact that it's a property, you know, management mastermind. I think the, the real learning, the real actionable stuff problem from talking to each other, you know, like talking to the Scott Brady's, talking to you, like speaking to people at the local level. And I do have some thoughts around that, right? Because like I said, if you have one, you know, if you have a bad experience, you know, then the renter, the tenant is going to think one thing. So to the extent that we could have a much better understanding of, okay, here's how to do, you know, pr provide proper service, but at the same time, educating those people, right? Like, okay, you're a renter, you're a tenant, but here's the larger scope of the entire housing market, right? And this is where we fit in to all of that. I think that would be useful. Yeah, another thing I would like to see, and this this opens up Pandora's box for a lot of you know mm -hmm. libertarian type arguments, is I feel that the oversight entity in whatever state you're in, whatever county you're in, mm -hmm. uh, should be more controlling of the property managers, because mm -hmm. where I'm going with this, and I, I might get you know pitch pitchfork dragged out of here, <laughs> um, I think there should be more government regulations, more government oversight. Mm -hmm over property managers because of the fact that we are money managers yeah. and the fact that if uh, one bad apple gives the rest of the industry a bad name, it's hurt to everybody. So we've yeah. all heard stories about you know, the, the property management company that has 
you know, a million dollars in escrow for trust account and they just disappear. Yep. And they say, yep. good luck finding me. And so now everybody's out all that security deposit money. So we've, we've heard of stories like that. Yeah. And we've also heard of, you know, the, the property management company screwing over the, the, the tenant and the tenant's yeah. super upset and never wants to do that yeah. experience again. Everyone knows those stories. And uh, without any sort of government oversight, even though I'm a, you know, I hate the government to a certain extent, you know, everyone's like yeah. wants their freedom, but yeah. I can see that this is going to be important. For example, in a parallel universe, would you want doctors just to be able to claim themselves to be doctors? Right. Sure. Hey, I'm a, sure. I'm a doctor. Did you go to med school? Nope. I'm just, I went down and paid 20 bucks and got a license. I'm a doctor. Sure. You know, sure. nobody would want that. So maybe we should consider something along the same lines with property managers. I suspect it's coming, right? It, you know, I suspect that's, I honestly suspect that's coming. The issue is once you have that, right, then look at the way the mortgage professionals, mortgage uh, brokers are being regulated by CFPB and some of these things. So it, it's kind of a, do we want that? Like real realtors have been deflecting that, right? It's like, look, we're regulated, we're licensed, but hey, government, stay off our backs and let us do whatever the hell we want. And it's like, that's not really going to work. That argument doesn't really work. Right. If the government comes in and says, well, but you're licensed, so we're going to make all this regulation condition of a license, like there's nothing you can say about that, you know, which is why NAR is so invested in power and so invested in lobbying, um, probably less than what property management, you know, is today anyway, but that might be the whole conversation. So again, like you're, you're absolutely right. There's so much to talk about at a very high level. One of the things I'm hoping for is, and I'll present some of those high level things is at a lower sort of actionable intelligence. Like what can you then take home from this event and then actually implement in your local area? That to me would be something that would be a worthy topic of conversation among the property management community, especially locally, right? Because I figure you all know each other locally, you know? And some of these conversations need to happen at a local level. That's what can we do here? What can we implement here? And, you know, there's, there's going to be some steps around that. Rob, great, great stuff so far. Now let's kind of wrap this up. Tell us how sure. we can reach you and how people can get to know you a little bit better before the conference. Sure. Uh, my main source is I, I, have, I write a blog, right? And uh, you know, my day job is as a strategy consultant, but for whatever reason, I've, I'm a frustrated writer, right? So I've been doing a lot of blogging. It's Notorious Rob is the name of the blog because I'm, a, I'm from the East Coast, man. Like I'm from New York. So, you know, Biggie was my boy, so I had to pay homage to him. So uh, NotoriousRob.com, just go, you'll find it. Um, I'm also on Facebook and on Twitter, I'm at Rob Han, uh, and they can find me there. And then uh, I think from the blog and from those sources, you'll find my YouTube and you know some of the videos and things that I've done. That would be the, probably the best way. And just reach out, say hello. And if you have questions, or I'm always happy to talk. Super excited to see what you have to present at the conference here yeah. next month. A lot of these topics you talked about, you're going to go into detail. And that's why people are going to run Correct. out of there, like having all these discussion points. And, and I'm very excited to that, for that because I think it is going to spur a lot of discussion that we just really haven't touched on a lot in our right. industry, in our realm. And I'm right. excited to hear what the people talk about in the hallways and in the, in the bars and to find right. out you know, what, right. what really sank in with them and right. is going to make a difference. So, Rob, And I'm excited forward. to learn about all of that myself, right? Because you know, this will be one of the first sort of live in-person events because Texas is free. So, you know, it'd be awesome to hear some of those uh, conversations in the lobby bars and those types of things. So I'm, I'm also excited. You know, it's not just about me coming in like, oh, I'm some, no, no, no. It's like, here's what I know. 
now want to know from you all, like learn as much as I can. So I'm really looking forward to myself. Great stuff, man. We're excited to have you. We'll see you next month at the Property Manager yes, Mastermind Conference. Visit pmmcon.com to learn more and sign up. Thanks again, Rob, and we'll oh, stay so in welcome. touch. Thank you, Brad. Imagine a world where the phone doesn't ring, but tenant leads still get pre-qualified and scheduled. Where in-person showings get coordinated automatically in real time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Where occupants and owners are automatically notified of showings and leasing reports. Or imagine, no one has to show your rentals and they get leased faster than ever, safely and securely. That's the world of Tenant Turner. Come learn more about our beautiful scheduling software and world-class customer support. Call us, 888-976-4638 or visit www.tenantturner.com. This has been a podcast episode by propertymanagementproductions.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave us feedback, and come back for our next episode.